0: Well, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me again. Business, the law and you. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. Bit later in the program, we've got one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This one's an interesting one. Don't let feeling like an imposter hold you back. And we'll find out what that's about later on. We're also going to chat with Christina about uh, food tech and the... Uh, uh, Innovations that's going on in the food industry, but right now we're going to have a chap with Tony Vidray from AV Chartered Accountants. Good afternoon, Tony.
1: I thought you were going to introduce me as an imposter.
0: <laughs> no, I was just going to say, with uh, accountants, we honestly love you. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: thought he was singing. I thought he was referring to Australia <laughs>
0: when he was singing that song. <laughs> okay, now that's the, that's another song, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple of others that he's done. So, so we're going to have a chat about uh, new uh, uh, work-related expenses, and particularly this uh, this funny little message that's popping up on some of our screens.
1: Yes. Now, on your program, over uh, over quite a few um, months, and in the past few years, I've made mention um, before that the. Tax office spent something like $750 million on a new computer system about six or seven years ago, and um, and it's paying for itself. It is scanning, you know, pretty much everything. It's doing a lot of analytics, um, and it's spitting out a lot of you know anomalies. If it's picking things up, it's um, it's spitting them out. Now, to date, they only really it only really communicated internally, so it would let um, officers from the ATO know. Look, there's a bit of a problem here. Um, you know, you should go and have, a, have a, a bit of a look at that. Yeah, sometimes it would automatically generate a letter. Um, this year, they've expanded it a little bit further, in that um, there's now a new uh, work-related expense message. So, if you're, so as, as we know, they, uh, the, the ATO do analytics on on pretty much every industry, and they've got uh, they've got a pretty good idea of what um, you know what everyone is spending. So, if you're a if you're a teacher, you know, there's a certain amount that they kind of think, yeah, well, okay, well, that's acceptable for people in the teaching profession. If you're a real estate agent, there's a certain amount. So they don't really share a lot of that information with you. But if you're above the average, what you're going to expect is that when you're going to do your return, so whether you're doing it yourself on uh, on MyGov, um, it will actually prompt you. But we're finding even now within the ATO portal, um, there's a little message there to say, um, hey, you're June 16th. Expenses were a little bit higher than normal. Um, if it continues at this higher rate, um, then you can um, expect a uh, a please explain. Mm, okay. So we've had a few we've had a few that have been higher than the norm, um, and um, and for good reason. And so um, as I've explained to uh, to the client, yep, as long as we've got all our ducks in a row, if and uh, probably when they, uh, and more accurately when they come knocking. You, um, you have to justify the claim and go through or jump all the hoops to to prove that you've spent it and that, that there's a very definite link between the expenditure and the earning of your income.
0: So, so one of the areas, obviously, that uh, people do have a challenge with sometimes is clothing and uniforms.
1: Ah, yes, yes. The Assistant Commissioner has interest, written a very interesting article, which I quite like the title of. It's called Pull Up Your Socks But Don't Claim Them. So <laughs> it's a bit of a dig at the... Um, um, at the accounting industry, but everyone who's really claiming anything to do with work-related clothing, which can get a little bit complicated, and they're, she's sharing some anecdotal stories of um, of what they're seeing at the tax office. There's about 6.3 million people who are making work-related clothing. Um, expenses and laundry expenses totaling about $1.8 billion. That's the claim that's going through for uniform. That's quite significant. and so Yeah, and it's about 20... They've seen increases of about 20% over the last five years. Now, now, while they're saying, oh, no, look, that isn't a sign that all taxpayers are doing the wrong thing, it is giving them a reason to pay a little bit of extra attention. Well, I'll give them the first reason why it's gone up 20% over the last five years, and that is if you walk down the main street of pretty much um, any street in, um, in in any in any city
0: you 're
1: going to find everyone wearing company logoed shirts because, yeah. um, which identifies them as an employee so you know I always find it intriguing that they 're the ones who 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 put up the framework of rules and then they're, and then they 're wondering you know why why there 's a trend well, they were very clear five years ago to say that you um, you 're not allowed to claim things unless it, um, you know, a particular uniform identifies you as an employee of your company, and I've got, you know, I've got a logo chair that, that identifies me as an employee of AV Chartered Accountants, hmm. that means that that, you know, I'm not going to wear that out, um, you know, night clubbing on a Friday night, Not well, that's well and truly really, um, gone, a <laughs> particular part of my life, but... You're not going to wear that at a Sunday afternoon barbecue, if you know what I mean. Unless you really want to stand out, stand out for the unless you're promoting your business. And, so it's not it's not conventional clothing. It is clearly a uniform, and it's and it's you know as long as it's part of um, you know that identifies you. And every second person is identified as an employee of a you know of Somewhere. a particular company. From from you know people who work for the Newcastle Permanent Building Society to the Greater Building Society to you know XYZ Engineers to and you are. That's into two, and you are. We've got logos. That's exactly it. So, and so they, they just remind everyone that it needs to be occupation-specific clothing. It needs to be protective clothing, and a uniform that's unique, um, you know, to the organisation that um, mm. that you work for. So, another thing that, that she said, which I found a little bit interesting, that one of the um, <clears throat> one of the ex- exceptions to the substantiation rules is if you claim up to one hundred and fifty dollars um, in laundry expenses now. What she's saying is that there's far too many people who are claiming exactly $150, $50. which is what's that? Roughly about three dollars per week. Yeah. Um, and that you still have to, you know, prove, you know, your claim. So, short of keeping all those um, shopping um, dockets to, to prove that you're buying your uh, coal power and OMO, um, I'm not sure what more you're going to be able to do to prove that you actually um, turn up to work with a uh, with a clean uh, clean, clean
0: shirt. Mm,
1: yeah. So, so anyway, they're scrutinising. They're scrutinising those sort of claims. So what what she conveniently has has left off out of her article, which I I thought you'd you'd find interesting and make mention of, is that the tax office lost a spectacular case a number of years ago now where a lady was able to claim $38,000 in clothing claims. Now there was there was this was it was a very unique situation and it was one where the lady was able to prove and I don't know how she did it but she did she was able to prove that a lot of the clothing that she wore for work even though it was private clothing like they were ball dresses and gowns and all that sort of stuff that wasn't part of her normal um, clothing so maybe she had to provide facebook photos of her wearing you know jeans and t-shirt on the weekends but her occupation required her to attend a lot of after night after hours um, dinners and and um, you know uh, uh, those sort of um, yeah, all the yeah. production events, all those sort of things, and um, yeah, they um, and the tax officers were very quick, were very quick to play that down and said, "Oh, that's that's you know a unique one-off mm-hmm. situation." But it was the exception to the rule because at the end of the day, all those clothes could have been worn at a wedding. Yeah, you know, they could have been worn uh, at some other function. But she was able to prove a direct link between um, the incurring of the expenditure and the um, uh, and, and the fact that she had to to, to buy stuff. Another another great story that I, that or part of this article that she wrote, where she's saying here, I heard a story recently about a taxpayer purchasing everyday clothes who was told by the sales assistant that they could claim a tax deduction for the clothing if they also wore it to work. <laughs> so uh, so we have sales assistants giving, giving tax, it's advice. tax it's advice. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. I was,
0: the, the previous lady with the ball gowns—I was just wondering whether she was a politician.
1: Well, no, she, I think she worked for a PR company, and so okay. there, there were a lot of those sort of you know PR events where she had to attend. And but she was able to show that that wasn't you know her life. That 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 was completely um, different. That that interesting one about the sales system—it actually just reminded me of um, a story, and it was a lady who I knew who had. Um, a, um, Teenage um, children—I think they were around 17, 18, 19 years of age—and they were working in some of these um, clothing stores that you would see typically at Charlestown um, and at, uh, at Westfield. And the store had a policy where the staff had to wear the clothes that were sold. Yeah. And these girls hated wearing—they just didn't. It was just like, wasn't wasn't
0: them. <laughs> it wasn't them. It
1: yeah. was it was aimed for more the you know the more mature ladies. Say, and I'll pick a figure. Say, you know, 35 plus. 40 years of age, that sort of style clothing, for your 17 and 18-year-olds, they they didn't want to wear it, but they were forced to wear it. They were forced to buy it, which I found the part which was ridiculous. I, I can't understand how they were forced to buy it. If you want to make your staff wear it, well, you should you know, provide, provide it. it yeah. But they were out of pocket. And I'm, I was thinking, well, do they get to claim that as a tax deduction? But it's not occupation-specific, doesn't have a logo on it, it's ordinary you mm. know clothing. But again, they would not wear that. Other times. another other times. Yeah. So, it's a good argument. Good argument. It is. Yeah, yeah. it is.
0: It great. Is. Well, thanks for your time, Tony. We'll, we've got a couple of other areas. We might look at them next month.
1: Save them over for next month. No yeah. trouble at all. Thanks, Julian. Have a Have, great day. You too.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Tony Vidro there from AV Chartered Accountants. Yes, just watch uh, your work-related expenses, particularly that clothing. Time to pop over to Christina. Good afternoon, Christina.
2: Good afternoon, Julian. How are you on this sunny day?
0: Yes, you're obviously in Newcastle, not Melbourne today. Uh,
2: correct, and it's much warmer, <laughs> let me tell you. Although it wasn't when I went for a walk this morning.
0: So, so we're looking at innovation again today, and we're looking at uh, some of the innovation that's happening in the food industry.
2: Yeah, and it, you know, it's coming thick and fast in the food industry, just as thick and fast as it's coming everywhere else. So, um, there's a, some of you listeners may not know, I'm sure you do, about the Food Innovation Centre. Um, that's in Monash, Clayton in south-east Melbourne. Uh, and they've, they've just recently opened up a food incubator. It was a $3.1 million um, uh, exercise. Uh, and it's a collaborative space, state-of-the-art kitchen, food lab. Um, because what we're interested in doing is adapting product to the, um, to the Chinese market. So we're really trying to, to expand e- exports into the Chinese market. But there's a whole lot of other things happening in food tech uh, that are potentially disruptive to the whole agricultural um, industry in Australia and actually New Zealand. So there's questions I know we've mentioned before um, about the the ethics. warehouses. Yeah, well the, well, the oh, ethics as well. So wait, by the time we get to the end of today's discussion, ethics is going to be quite a you know a quite one. something to to really well listen. Yeah, to investigate and listen to. But so the we've talked about the um, the in the Bronx in the states how they've got the warehouses where. They're growing, you know, green foods in layers. And mm. there's some concern at the moment around um, vitamin D because they're using ultraviolet light to grow um, some of these grasses and everything. But we're messing with the biology of the plants. The, the plants, uh, you know, if you know anything about biology, which I didn't until I started reading about the effect on food, make their food from combining um, carbon dioxide with water from the soil and it's in the process called photosynthesis. This would be very, like, easy to understand for some people and some people like me who are not scientifically uh, brain brained, um, potentially not. But, that, but the process of photosynthesis is powered by the sunlight and the chlorophyll traps the sun's energy that's in the plant. So that's the bit that makes it green. Now, the question is, because we're not using sunlight, because we're using ultraviolet light, is that messing with the biology of the plant? so that was that's one thing that that has become of concern lately we're making meat without cows, eggs without chickens, milk without cows um, there was a There's a group called Super Meat, which is a start up from israel that's producing meat in a lab Now the good thing about this for vegetarians and animal lovers um, is that they've they've actually created um, a situation where they can expand the cells that are isolated from a small tissue biopsy taken without hurting the animals. The food won't run out. It's cheaper. It's, they claim that it's healthier. We, we have yet to um, really right. discover... yeah Yeah, and the long-term effects on the human body. Um, but it's all bioengineered. So we're also bioengineering milk from yeast. Um, we're genetically modifying it, brewing milk so that it's chemically exactly the same as cow's milk. They've also made it chemically exactly the same as human milk. We've bioengineered eggs with the same idea. And you kind of think, well, well, who, you know, what does this do for world poverty? But they're also, they're targeting at the moment people that need to buy on mass. So Mm. whole food organisations who are buying eggs by the thousands of kilos, who want the eggs to last longer, they want them in powdered form, they want them in liquid form, they want them in tube form, they want to make sure they're salmonella free, they want to make sure of supply, um, and they want them to taste more like eggs than the eggs do. So this is... You know these are all the and they're cheaper as well, so all those kind of things are um are questions that are that are coming at and us the, thick and fast We're yeah. genetically modifying plants fruits you know we, the um they've got the you know the new fruits that are the cross between the pear and the apple which isn't so new anymore they're quite old now um so that's one thing that's a, a that's threatening disruption to the food industry as well as the self driving tractors um the different irrigation systems that, that we're putting um, into practice and discovering at the moment. So the whole food industry is up for disruption.
0: So with all uh, with all innovation, as we constantly talk, there's always this positive and negative, isn't there?
2: There is, and haven't we said that every week? Yeah. You know, whoever invented the car invented the car crash. So we could potentially end world poverty by bioengineering. Um, food, milk, etc. Making food healthier, making it reach—you know—if we can make food last longer, we can travel it further. We can feed people in, in you know, um, countries and country areas where there's there's food shortages. Mm. But what does it do to the if we, but if we're genetically modifying food, is that going to have a long-term effect
0: say,
2: on our bodies? Yeah, we don't know, do we?
0: Great. Well, thanks for your time again. We'll have a chat with you next week. Look forward to it, Julian. talk yeah,
2: then. You too.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with you. Yeah, what's going on in the food industry? We keep talking about how uh, we have all these innovations happening. Some are for the good, some are for the... Well, we don't know yet. Yeah? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips. As we said earlier, this one, don't let feeling like an imposter hold you back. We've all had that feeling of being a poser or being unworthy or being unqualified to do something we've been asked to uh, do. But the fact is that everyone occasionally suffers from the imposter syndrome. Even CEOs don't make it an easy, easy to handle. So next time you feel like you're in over your head, try these three things. First of all, recognize the benefits of being a novice. There are positives to being new in your field. When you're not steeped in the conventional wisdom of a given profession or industry, you can ask questions that haven't been asked before or approach problems in ways others haven't thought of. Secondly, adopt a learning mindset. Focus more on what you're learning than how you're performing. Don't beat yourself up for making mistakes. Appreciate that your limitations and missteps are helping you develop. And then finally, know that you're not alone. If you're feeling like an imposter, chances are that others in your situation feel exactly the same. Or, uh, as someone once quipped, I realised that almost everyone is a fraud, so I try not to feel too bad about it. So as interesting it, we often sometimes feel a little bit over our head. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at... Uh, work-related expenses and those little uh, messages that might be popping up on our screen after we lodge our tax return. Uh, In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk with Mark Halfthorpe from the Australian Institute of Management about lessons in leadership. We'll have our one minute with uh, Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as George Elliott once said, it's never too late to be what you might have been. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.